Welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some great YouTube content, stories and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy music, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people these days do like to share their opinions, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with a K. And I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website arockandrollrabbithole.com The website also has Spotify playlists of all of the songs used in each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. I've also put some small playlists of the great, lesser-known artists that I feature at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, rate, and review the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Thanks again for listening. Last two weeks' episodes were pretty dark, so this week is back to a normal, pointless episode of a random topic to tie in some great tunes. During lockdown, when I did most of this episode, I listened to a shit ton of music. Two albums I listened to quite a bit were The Rolling Stones' Black and Blue and also ACDC's Back in Black. So to wash some of the blood away from episode 13 and 14's Dead by 40, this episode will list my favourite songs with either black or blue in the title. But before we get into it, I just want to thank a few people. Ross Hetherington, Gus Rigby, Sean Guitar Porn Dennis, Steve McDonald for some living and love, Sam Leskovic, Anna J3 for a nice iTunes review, thank you. Sam Whaley, Serge Shamlu, Luke O'Connor, Ryan Syfax, Glenn Turtle Howard and Cameron Church for some Dead by 40 supergroup lineups. Thanks, boys. Thanks again, and here we go. Episode 15, Black and Blue. Blue and black, black and blue, same thing, Jackson Brown. Part one, black. Let's start with an obvious one, which I've already hinted at. The title track from the biggest selling rock album of all time. Here's Angus and Malcolm talking about the guitar riff. on that throughout the Highway to Hell tour, you know, just backstage, tuning up, just sitting in the dressing room and just said, how's this sound? And, uh, yeah, and I said, hey, man, it sound great to me. 
I said, if you don't like it, I'll have it. <laughs> I'll say, I wrote it. <laughs> ACDC, back in black. Two great songs with Black in the title from these guys, both off their great Super Unknown record from 1994. Fell on Black Days is a song Chris Cornell wrote about a severe case of depression in his teenage years, which, at one point, he stayed in his house for up to a year playing guitar and drums. Fell on Black Days, Soundgarden. Chris Cornell talking about how he wrote the next huge tune. I was in a car driving home like at 4 a.m. when I wrote that song. In your head, like, in other words? Yeah. You're, you're driving along yeah. and the tune comes to you in your head? Yeah, the whole thing. And even, even the solo was you, all in there. And then I raced, you know, I just tried to keep it revolving so I wouldn't forget. Went inside, kind of whistled it into a tape recorder, which I never listened back to. But I, just in case I forgot it, and then the next day I, I kind of wrote out the lyrics, and but I had the the lyrical idea and everything. And it all meant something to you, and, and you heard it in your you hear it in your head mm -hmm. almost like you're listening to the radio. Exactly. Black the 
semitone out sort of messes with my ear a bit but it was kind of cool to hear the acoustic version going into the band version we covered this next song in episode 11 and 12 bird songs and bird bands here's paul mccartney talking about how he came up with the great guitar part what it was was george and i used to sit around as kids um as teenagers and mainly we were just playing sort of you know rock and roll well i got a weird machine you know 20 fly rock and stuff but we had a little piece which was like a, a party piece to 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 show people that you know we weren't as stupid as we looked and it was it was by Bach um, and it went like that Let me hear you applaud. He is more than a man. He's a shiny golden god. So what we liked was the, the melody and then there's a, you know, or whatever, you know, the bass line going at the same time. That was, uh, was kind of hard, harder to do than anything we did. So uh, that was how we did it. But we got it wrong. It should go... It goes on. If you think it's time to fucking rock and fucking roll out of control, well, then you know you've got to rock the block. You fucking sock my fucking cock. Because when you rule, you fucking school all of the fools out of their jewels. Because if you think it's time to... If you think it's time to... If you think it's time to fucking rock. But we just truncated it and did it like short like that. And that bit, I kind of always liked. So then I ended up adapting that years later, remembering this little thing we used to do into sort of... And just looking for all those little shapes. So it had a melody on the top and a little bass line. So that's where Blackbird came from. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise Here's this legend playing this song the week he wrote it on his TV show Man in Black, Johnny Cash Look around the other day. I talked with several of you, and we asked each other a lot of questions. I asked you questions, you asked me questions, and the idea for a song started brewing then. And since I saw you last Saturday, I wrote this song. And I just finished writing this song, the fourth or fifth rewrite this morning, so that's why I've got to have the cards to remind myself of what the words are, the last version I wrote. This song is a very personal thing, I suppose you might say, but it's the way I feel about a lot of things, this song is called The Man in Black. 
Well, you wonder why I always dress in black Why you never see bright colors on my back And why does my appearance always have a somber tone Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town And I wear it for the prisoner Who has long paid for his crime But still is there because he's a victim of the times I wear the black for those who've never read Or listened to the words that Jesus said About the road to happiness through love and charity Why you'd think he's talking straight to you and me Well, we're doing mighty fine This next one is a great song from a band who have yet to poke their head out of the rabbit hole, but they are awesome. The singer-guitar player's dad was in a band called The Tornadoes who were the first British band to have a US number one single in 1962 with this song, Telstar. Just a quick side rabbit hole on the guy that wrote and produced Telstar. His name was Joe Meek. Studio heads may recognize his name from some Pro Tools plug-in packages. Joe was a pioneer in overdubbing, sampling, and reverb. Anyway, on my rabbit hole dig on him, I found that his death could have easily been in episode 13 and 14, dead by 40. Naughty Joe confiscated a shotgun from Tornado's bass player, Heinz Burt, and shot his landlady, then shot himself in the head on the 3rd of February, 1967, at the age of 37. Brutal. Supermassive Black Hole by Muse. dark lyric song. This classic was a number one hit in both the US and the UK in 1966. Painted Black, The Rolling Stones. Anywhere. 
The working title of this next song was E Ballad before Eddie Vedder added his lyrics. Black by Pearl Jam. has no mention of the title in the lyrics as it was named after a random black Labrador wandering around the studio when the band were recording this classic. The verses took inspiration from this Fleetwood Mac song called Oh Well. It also has a sneaky little cowbell so it would have been at home in episode 7. Help about the shape I'm in. I can't sing, I ain't pretty, and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answers that you want me to. Here, Jimmy Page talks about the riff and the timing. John Paul Jones had a, a riff, uh, and that's the sort of riff that you know of Black Talk. Or, okay, so. So he had that, but that's what that's what it was. It was just a riff, and and uh, he was sort of playing it over and over, and I, and it was tricky. It was tricky to play. Certainly, the bit where it goes into the sort of where where, where it goes into sort of triplets in one part, and and, and you know it overlays um, or overlaps. Um, but during the point of pu- putting it together. Or getting that part, being able to play it with him. That once I could play it with him, I said, "Okay, well, let's let's try this with a call and response." So with Robert singing and then the riff, and then all the other bits outside of the riff, those are all the bits that I put into it. So really, if you're asking me what my part of it was, it was actually taking it from a riff and making it into a piece of music. Do you see? Uh, more constructed and a more as a working piece so we could all sort of play it. Just a quick side rabbit hole. Here's Lady Gaga smashing the vocal on a radio show. Okay. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move Gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove Ha ha, child, the way you shake that way Gonna make you burn, gonna make you sting And here's Brian Johnson from ACDC smashing it. 
start a guitar and Jimmy Page called them waking up the army of guitars. This one's for my buddy, my Black Lab Rodney the Ardog special. Track one from album one from one of my absolute favourite feel-good albums. The song is loosely about an old English legend of a ghostly black dog that terrorised a village in 1577. A very ACDC riff, but a great gig opener for the darkness. This song briefly featured in episode six's Darkness F-Bomb medley, and I'll repeat it here. Justin Hawkins. Black Shuck by the Darkness.
just if you're curious, I do edit some of the songs to get some of my favourite parts into under a minute or so, just to keep it a bit more flowing, as I did with the great Black Shuck, so he could hear the ending again. song is often credited to a guy I missed in episode 8 and 9, Name Changing Game Changers, as he was born Huddy Leadbetter, but he's better known as Lead Belly. He adapted the song from an 18th century song and recorded his version in 1939. But the song was first recorded in 1933 by some convicts singing it a cappella at Central State Farm in Texas, which is a prison. This guy also had a badass nickname of Ironhead, but was born James Baker. Guilty of many burglaries, he was jailed for 99 years. Fuck. He was backed by Moses Clearock Platt, who got his prison nickname as he claimed to have killed three people by throwing rocks at them. The Bam Alam was slang for the noise a whip made on a prisoner and slave's back. Here's Ironhead's version of Black Betty. Black Betty, Bam Alam. Oh, Black Betty, Bam Alam. Black Betty, where'd you come from? Bam Alam. Black Betty, where'd you come from? Here's Lead Belly's version of Black Betty. Look, look yonder. Look, look yonder. Where the sun done gone. Oh, Black Betty. Bambalam, oh, Black Betty. Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby. Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby. Bambalam, them thing gone crazy. Bambalam, them thing gone crazy. Bambalam, oh, Black Betty. Bambalam, oh, Black Betty. Bambalam, oh, baby, Black Betty. Bambalam, oh, Betty, Black Betty. Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby. Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby. Bambalam, them thing gone crazy. Bambalam, them thing gone crazy. Bambalam, said he wouldn't under mine. Bambalam, Here's Ram Jam's version from 1977. Finally, here's Aussie band Spiderbait's Crack at It in 
Here's Tom York introducing Black Star. This is a song about uh, getting back from work at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then getting sexy. Black Star. As we did in episode 11 and 12, Bird Songs, we heard an unnecessary version of Prince's When Doves Cry sung by a choir. And here's a choir singing this Radiohead nugget. But why? I don't know. Okay, that's enough. My next pick is the first crack at this band doing a semi-power ballad in 1984. The singer said the mood of the song was set by a breaking to the band's gear truck which resulted in his favourite Marshall lamp being stolen. The lyrics are what he called a suicide song and it was actually the last song that bass player Jason Newstead played live with Metallica. During a live performance of this song in 1992, James Hetfield sustained burns to his arms, hand and face in a pyro accident. Luckily, his guitar took the majority of the force of the flames. Saved by the rock. Here's Lars announcing the accident at the show. There was an incident with uh, the pyrotechnics. Unfortunately, James uh, is on his way to the hospital right now, and we're very sorry, but we can't continue the concert for you guys tonight. But we promise you one thing for Metallica, and you know that we always good by our words. We will come back and finish our concert and play again for you as soon as we can with the next couple of months. Thank you, Montreal. We're sorry, okay? Thanks for being so patient. Thanks a lot. Here's the guys in Metallica talking about the incident. During Fade to Black, I'm up there playing the part, and these colored flames are going off. I'm a little confused on where I should be. I walk forward, I walk back. We have these flashes of magnesium that burns at 1,200 degrees, 1,800 degrees, who knows, but hot enough to melt metal. The pyro guy doesn't see me that I've walked back out there. A big colored flame goes right up under me. Uh, and instantly I you know, squint and turn. James Hetfield looks like uh, that torch that they carry up the stairs to light the Olympic fire. So I'm burnt, all my arm, my hand completely down to the bone, the side of my face, hair gone, uh, part of my back. 
I said, you all right, man? He looked at me and he, he was shaking and he brought up his, his hand. And I could literally see the skin rising off his, his hand and blister. We see some guy come up and dump him with water and then cover him. Well, that felt oh, great for a second. Then I looked down and watched the skin just rising and things going wrong. Total confusion and adding to the mix, you know, 50,000 people. This is in Montreal, French speaking everywhere. Uh, I'm trying to explain what's going on. Can we get to a hospital, please? A hospital, yes. And his skin is bubbling like on the Toxic Avenger. They're calling, you know, for an ambulance. And, you know, the security guys are kind of walking around. And the one guy bumps into, bumps into my hand, I remember. And I just lost it. I screamed. I punched him right in the nuts. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my God, it's over. Oh, my God, our band is done. And just for some rabbit hole fun, here's some crowd participation with Hetfield, just because I enjoy swearing so much. Metallica fade to black.
first song off Metallica's Injustice For All record is Blackened. Just some music nerdery, the song has eight time signatures and is one of the three songs that Jason Newstead has a co-write on. That's a very special time in my life. This was when James and I were first becoming friends. And he was someone I looked up to greatly before I joined the band. We all did, anybody in any other bands, even the guys in the bands around him, even Exodus and Violence and all the Bay Area bands, we all looked up to James, his special gifted person still is. And so we were getting to be friends, and we'd stay over at each other's house apartments. We'd take care of each other's animals when we went on vacations, and these kind of things got to be pals. And uh, we were in my one-bedroom apartment. I had my little four-track task cam set up in the corner of the bedroom, and we're jamming on our guitars uh, and just playing through some riffs. And I played that, you know, that blackened riff. And he goes, dude, what is that? Because it was really pretty crazy. The original thing is a very fast alternating thing, man. It's pretty tricky, actually. But the one that ended up on the record is pretty tricky, too, but the original one is really tricky. And so he picked up on that, and we recorded that bit, and he goes, let's build it to this and build it to this. And it was just uh, it was a moment. You know, he was actually composing a song with James from Metallica, and he was approving my riffs and saying this is going to be a Metallica song. That was a big, big moment for me. And I remember, because we already been on tour together, and so I had a giant Damage Incorporated tour poster on my bedroom wall right above my little station where I had my speakers and my little four-track and a couple of guitars. At that point, I probably only had two or three guitars in my collection. And there we were right there. I could paint that picture for you very plainly, but it was a very, very big moment for me because I was getting approval from the man to have my first chance on having one of my compositions on a Metallica record. And here's James talking about Jason. I think it had to be extremely uh, bittersweet for him. <laughs> like a dream come true, but I'm stepping into someone's shoes who can never be filled. <clears throat> it must have been very difficult. And for him and for us, it was difficult. It just truly was. And, you know, Psych 101 will tell you that all our anger, our grief and sadness got directed at him when it, you know, not all of it, but quite a bit of it was he was an easy target. And I think the, the there were a couple things about Jason, you know, his personality. He was he felt he was goofy enough to take it, which was a, a, a positive for him, uh, I think. He was such a fan, and we hated that. We hated that part. We wanted to unfan him and become... As hard as you were. Yeah, as hard as we were. Uh, so trying to beat the fan out of him, trying to also get him to play something different, like Cliff Wood. You know, he was a, he played with a pick, and he would follow whatever I would do. And, and I, I remember... There were times where I, you know, I'd be playing, I'd just turn around so he couldn't see what I was playing, so he couldn't follow me. It's like, do, do whatever you want to do, you know? So, but obviously live, he was definitely, he fit right in. He was a great force, and you heard the bass live. So, uh, uh, and he, he wasn't afraid to step up to the mic and bark whenever he, he felt like it. And he was, he was, he would sweat. He would really sweat. And he put a lot into the live show. So that gained a lot of respect, at least I think for us, once we started touring with him. Blackened Metallica.
I see this next song as a warm-up for this band's biggest hit, which came one year later. There are about four separate parts just in the first 90 seconds, which we will hear here, and eight or nine sections in the whole song. It was this classic band's second longest song behind the song I mentioned earlier, which was Bohemian Rhapsody. When talking about this song, Freddie said, that song took me ages to complete. I wanted to give it everything, to be self-indulgent or whatever. Here's Freddie dropping a nice F-bomb while recording the demo. Black Queen by Queen. City, I strongly recommend listening to My Fairy King of Queen 1, then March of the Black Queen of Queen 2, then Bohemian Rhapsody. You can kind of see where the ideas came from. Kinda. Still absolute genius. This was the first of two great albums Queen released in 1974, along with Sheer Heart Attack. Just keeping with our black theme, Queen 2 had a white side which had the song White Queen as it began, which featured on episode 5, Colours of the Irish Flag, and a black side which has this song, March of the Black Queen. My next choice is a 1968 Fleetwood Mac song which was made quite a bit more famous by Santana. Here's Carlos Santana talking about the song and a nice gesture he made to Otis Rush, who Peter Green, the songwriter, found his inspiration for the song. 
You know, it was so much fun, man, because we're in the studio feeling more confident. Now we're playing in Woodstock, and Bill Graham opened the door, and, and, and uh, the first album is, you know, is, is making a mark. So we're going to the studio, Wally Hyders, to record Abraxas, us loving Peter Green and Gabor Sabo and Tito Puente. I got a black got me so blind, I Peter Green collects royalties, but it's our Black Magic Woman now. Because to me, Black Magic Woman came from all your love, pretty baby. All your love, pretty baby. Having stuff for you. Got a black. To me, it's the same thing. Just you just yeah. change the lyrics, you know. So you know, so so Santana, like I said, is a commonality of gumbo of a lot of people. You know, at least two to three times a year, I send some serious money to Otis Rush. I, I have to, and I will continue to, That's amazing. to, to, to honor the, the song that I play every night. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. I've got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can this will be the last of the black songs and it has one of the most famous guitar riffs in it just a quick side rabbit hole here let's have a listen to ricky nelson's 1962 rock version of gershwin's jazz thing summertime and check out the riff Black Knight, Deep Purple. That's it for the black songs for now, even though there's heaps more, but my brain will explode if I do another two-part episode. Section two, blue songs. I tried to steer clear of blues songs with the title Something Something Blues, but there's a couple I just couldn't deny. This next song isn't off Black and Blue, which came out in 1976, but it's off the Rolling Stones album from 1968, Beggar's Banquet, Stray Cat Blues by the Rolling Stones.
here's Mick Jagger defending our next singer to a stupid and pushy interviewer. You know, one could say that that uh, singing rock songs and yeah. and performing like you do could be, you know, being 61 or 60 or mm-hmm. 62 could be pathetic that, that people say, well, he does very well, but anyway. Do you like Bob Dylan? Yes, I do like Bob Dylan. Well, he's but over 16. I, I quite like watching his shows. I think it's quite fun yeah. and I enjoy watching him. Yes, and I enjoy watching him, but his voice is... You don't like his voice? It's a funny yes. voice, you know, it's yeah. like a voice that's never been a, one of the great tenors of our time. No. But it's got a, it's got a, it's got a, yeah. it's got a timbre and it's got a, 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 a projection and it's got a feeling. So, and you were that's talking about earlier, you know, you were talking about, you know, as you get older, that, you know, your voice takes on a certain different resonance and a yeah. different pitch and so on. Yeah. So there's something to be said for that. And there's also no, but, but something anyway, to be said for... You know, uh, but but, but Bob Dylan is, you know, he's... he's, he's no, he's, he, he's standing or sitting on a chair, but, but you're, you are running, jumping... Uh, not jumping anymore, but yeah. running. A, I'm a sure I can be jumping, but I... Yeah. I <laughs> but definitely running. Yeah. Yeah. Pop back and listen to episode 11 and 12. And you'll hear Black Crow singer Chris Robinson talking about how Bob Dylan took the stage with the Rolling Stones but wouldn't sing his classic song like a Rolling Stone with them. Here's a very similar story from Elvis Costello. Tell me about that time that you uh, thought you were going to do a duet with Bob Dylan and you ended up having to carry all the vocals. Oh, that, well, I was on tour with Bob Dylan. Uh, I think it was 2008. I was, I was in the middle of the bill of the Bob Dylan show, as, as they were calling the show at that time. Bob and his band, and Amos Lee, who had a hit at the time, and he was opening up. And I went on with just acoustic, played about 40 minutes in the middle of the show. And then one day Bob asked me to come up uh, on the stage at Soundtrack and said, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to get you into the act. <laughs> and it was so weird the way he said it, like we were old vaudevillians, you know, like we're going to do some juggling, you know. <laughs> and he suggested us doing Peace, Love and Understanding, which I then had to remind him I didn't write. Nick wrote that. Yeah, well. Nick Lowe wrote that. So I figured it would be trying the patience of his audience if I walked up in the middle of his show and sang a song associated with me, you know. So in the end, I suggested a couple of very, very rare choices because I figured he's not going to want to do Blowing in the Wind, you know, mm-hmm. so, with me. So, I, And then we settled on this beautiful song, Tears of Rage. And we didn't, we didn't do it immediately. And then about a week later, he called me up to the stage and we went out there with a couple of... And he didn't call the band, which was something he hadn't done for a while. So the audience went crazy. Yeah, you never see him just a him and a guitar. No, and this was the first time. They told me later, like 14 years or something, since he'd stepped up there without a a band behind him. So, of course, there's people in his audience that read everything as a sign of some kind. Kind of a little unnerving. And um, we wandered out there and started singing, or I started singing, and he just didn't sing. And it was, you know, it was really strange. And then he came in in the harmony on the chorus and then the next verse, he sang a bit more. And by the third time round, he came in and I looked at him because I've learned from previous experience of singing with him, you never look away. You don't want to look away. Because you'll change it up. It's a very intense thing, you know. I mean, it's really, you know, you know that from everything he's written. And uh, in the moment that I looked at him, I knew he was going to sing and he sang and he sang a line that isn't in the song or apparently in it. Maybe it was another 
draft of the lyrics. That's what apparently he has all these other verses that he's Well, he's written. got these other verses, and they, but the line he sang, which I was supposed to answer, didn't rhyme with the line that I knew. <laughs> so there's like a moment of complete panic. But it's night. this is all happening in slow motion now, like a car crash, you know. And uh, so in the moment that I... It's obviously only a split second that you had to do this. I, I somehow resolved it. But we hit the guitar with such force that he actually cracked up, which is my favorite memory of it, because people, those people in the audience that were reading into this way too much mm-hmm. missed the point that there's, you have to retain some humanity. You know, no matter... He'd written this song. It's a very beautiful, very soulful, intense song. But if you had to carry yourself in this pretentious way in every gesture, it would just be drain you of the will to do it at all. Bob Dylan, Subterranean Homesick Blues. John is in a basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement, thinking about the government. A man in a trench coat, batch I laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, do something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway, looking for a new friend. A man in a coonskin cap and a pig pen wants $11 bills. You only got 10 I love these little studio outtakes, and here's one of Bob trying to get the intro together. Hold it, let's keep that intro right. Three. What is the intro? Got me. Okay. No, uh, we'll th- we'll th- just a second. Why don't you intro just be... Or I'll, no, no, oh, I'll just play the guitar. I'll just play, okay. That's right, you just play the guitar. I mean, like, doing Melancholy Blues, uh, one particular song, it, it, it's so different from anything that we've done before. It's nice. I mean, you know, it's nice. It's, it's very sort of difficult at the same time. Mm. But it's something that we're not used to. Another party's over And I'm left cold sober Baby left me for somebody new I don't want to talk about it Want to forget about it Want to be intoxicated with That special brew So come and get me Let me That says my heart is on an all-time low So don't expect me
next band were formed out of the ashes after the singer of Joy Division committed suicide. Check out episode 13 and 14 for that sad story. This song is actually the best-selling 12-inch single of all time. There's a great scene in Shaun of the Dead where the guys throw vinyl records in an attempt to stop some attacking zombies. Here's Simon Pegg talking about the next song. I actually met up with um, uh, Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook after this at the NME Awards a few years later, and they were ever so pleased that we'd thrown Blue Monday, um, which is obviously an absolute classic 12-inch um, but it was it had to be a valuable one at first uh, when we started the scene because it sets up Sean's desire to only throw records he doesn't like. Um, so it had to be a banger at the top and you don't get much more banging than Blue Monday. Another 80s song from the UK. I've always loved this chorus's melody. Blue by the Fine Young Cannibals. I'm adding this next 80s monster just to hear this guy's awesome voice. Here's Lou talking about writing this great tune. I remember uh, stumbling upon the, the intro chords to this song. I'm, I'm not a guitar player, believe me. I, I, uh, I, I don't know my way around the instrument, but I was able to, to find these particular chords and find that rhythm. And, and, it, and it sounded real good to me. And uh, I, I put that down on top of a, a drum beat that I was playing. Uh, and and uh, so, so I had the, the chords and the drum beat, and I, and I just kept playing that over and over again. And, and uh, the, the, the thing that sounded good with it was 
was this this kind of half talking, half singing that that I was doing in in the verse. I ain't got no regrets, ain't losing track of. I, I was singing, but I was excuse me, I was kind of talking it too, and uh, it was almost uh, Dylan-esque, uh, and and uh, it, it it just sounded like a like telling a story and, and then and then uh, partway through that verse then then it it, it became all singing and uh, and the story continued and and uh, uh, it, it 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 ended up going into the to the chorus of midnight blue for some reason i've always loved the line life see the cherry red or midnight blue lou graham had Blackbird in part one, and of course, Workaholic Paul needs to be in part two as well. Here's Paul's wing song, Bluebird, from Band on the Run. Late at night when the wind is still, I'll come flying through your door. And you'll know what love is for. I'm a bluebird, I'm a bluebird, I'm a bluebird, I'm a bluebird. Here's another little studio nugget of the wing sax player getting his shit together in the studio and confirming with Paul what the chords are. A minor, G minor 7, C, then C, then G minor. Hang on. To do the Here's Bono talking about this next blue piece of gold. And when I explained to Edge what I'd been through um, in El Salvador, he was able to, with a nod to Jimi Hendrix actually, try and put some of that fear and, and, uh, and, and loathing um, into his guitar solo. And we, we, we strapped my feelings um, to, to the song Bullet the Blue Sky. I'd been there, I was, there was an American movement that were, there's actually wonderful people who was, were offering um, um, solace to refugees from the, from the, from the war in, in El Salvador. And, and I was with one of those groups visiting uh, it was just a few of us, and we went out into the hills, and maybe that was irresponsible, I don't know, because we were in the middle of, of a war zone. And uh, I don't think it was it was that dangerous where we were. There was some a few some shots fired over our heads and things like that. It's very, you know, shooting, the sound of, of, of gunfire is 
out in the open and you're not in close streets is, is very unromantic. It's like spitting. It's like... I've been shot at a few times as it happens, but um, I think this was the first, and well, I was the first, and but we just walked on. There were just soldiers um, um, playing with us, really. I don't think they had any dark intentions, but in in the hillside uh, across the way, they were bombing, firebombing these villages. They tell them to, you know, to to get the the um, to to get the paramilitaries out of there, uh, and they were then they, they would torch the place. And just I remember the ground shaking, and I remember the the, the smell of of I suppose being near a war zone. I really don't think uh, we were in, in in any danger. I don't want to exaggerate that, um, but I knew the lives were being in danger or being lost close to us and I felt for them uh, I did actually you know, as, as I was walking in the same trip I did see a, a memorable piece of graffiti it said fuck Jesus and I went ooh that's a bit strong is it uh, and they said no no that's, that's just Jesus he lives around the corner <laughs> Bullet the Blue Sky you too in This is the last of the blues songs before we take a break and I get to my favourite. I only came to this album and song through another great album and song by John Mayer. I love every song on John Mayer's Born and Raised record and the opening track, Queen of California, he sings, Joni wrote blue in a house by the sea. Joni wrote blue in a house by the sea I gotta believe there's another colour waiting on me I like John Mayer, I like Houses, and I like the sea, so I rabbit-holed the album Blue by Joni Mitchell. And here's Joni talking about the album. My individual psychological descent coincided, ironically, with my ascent into the public eye. They were putting me on a pedestal and I was wobbling. So, you know, I took it upon myself that since I was a public voice and was subject to this kind of weird worship 
but they should know who they were worshipping. I was demanding of myself a deeper and, and greater honesty, more and more revelation in my work in order to give it back to the people where it goes into their lives and nourishes them and changes their direction and, you know, makes light bulbs go off in their head and makes them feel and, you know, and it isn't vague. It strikes against the very nerves of their life and in order to do that you have to strike against the very nerves of your own. I remember playing it for Chris Christopherson and he was kind of shocked by it and said, oh, Joni, you know, save something of yourself. I think he'd felt that I had gone to reveal too much or something. I'd leave myself too vulnerable. Blue, Joni Mitchell. of them before I get to my favourite pick, but I wanted to include a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists. And today's story is a story that I hinted at in episode 13 and 14, Death Arena Spectacular. I made a slight mention of Graham Parsons' corpse story and here's tour manager Phil the Mangler Kaufman telling the tale. Just quickly, Kaufman was introduced to the music industry by Mick Jagger. There's the small link to this episode, but it's a fucking crazy story that could only happen in the 70s, and I wanted to squeeze it into this rabbit hole. How did you get started? When I, when I, when I got out of prison, I was a marijuana felon in the 60s. So uh, a buddy called me up and said Mick Jagger and uh, Marianne Faithful were coming to L.A., and uh, they needed somebody to drive them around. Somebody knew the area, so the guy bought me a pair of shoes. And it was time to go to the uh, studio to a mixing uh, beggar's banquet. And I got uh, to the studio, and they, they, they said, who's there? And I said, Rolling Stones. I said, they're not here. I said, yeah, they're here. I hear the guy in the back says, they're not only here, they're on the right day, they're on time. <laughs> and I said, they're going to be on time every day. So we, I drove them back to their, to their house, their brand-new uh, 68 Cadillac convertible. And Mick said, how are you getting home? I said, I'm going to have to walk. I, don't, you know, I didn't have any money. Mm. And Mick, Mick said, oh, shit, he took $1,500. See, all the money he had in his pocket, handed it to me, gave me the keys to the car and said, See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and that was my first day. That was like my first day movies. in the music business. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I said, "This is pretty good." Then Graham Parsons came in about a week later. Graham asked me if I worked for the work for the Flying Beetle Brothers touring, and I said, uh, road, "What does a road manager do?" He said, "Well, it's the same thing you do for the Stones in the house. You just take it on the road." I said, "Oh shit, I can do that." Well, I like talking about Graham. Well, I, I, I met Graham, uh, you know, as I said, through the Flying Beetle Brothers. 
And uh, we went to a funeral for Clarence White, who was the guitar player for the Birds. And Graham and, and everybody there were saying that, you know, if Clarence had his choice, he, that would not have been his choice of funeral. It would have been a little bit more subtle. So uh, Graham, Graham and I had a, had a few sherbets. And uh, we said, look, if I die first, I want you to take my body out to the desert and burn it. And I said, me too. Is it a deal? And we shook on it. Of course, the asshole died several months later. And I'm sitting around the house playing shoulda. I should have been with him. I shouldn't have let him do this. I should have. So anyway, my girlfriend says, you know, get off your ass and do it. So I did. I borrowed a hearse from, from a friend, went out to LAX, and convinced them that uh, the family wanted the body flown out to New Orleans. And so you just took him out to Joshua Tree? <laughs> took him tree? out to Joshua Tree and opened up the casket. And We used to play this game. What do you got something on your shirt? Burp. That, that was the last thing he got from me. And then I put the gas on him and uh, said, see you around, pal, and lit a match and threw it in. Oof. It's a big, big flame ball of oxygen as, as, the, as the gasoline ignited. And I could see his ashes going up into the desert. I said, my job's done here. And then I, we left. And uh, a couple of days later, the police arrested me for uh, Grand Theft Parsons. <laughs> <laughs> Song sung blue, everybody knows one. Let's take a short break and quickly recap the magic before I get to my favourite black and or blue song. Recapping the So here's my favourite song that features either black or blue in the title and is by a band that featured in episode 2's Girls Names and in episode 11 and 12's Bird Names and Bird Songs two-part podcast of power. It's from another album that I adore every note on, August and Everything After, and here's Adam Juritz introducing Perfect Blue Buildings by The Counting Crows. Say serious things to you and I fucked it up. When we made this, uh, this album... We, we nearly killed each other. Uh, it was really hard to make. We were just a new band, and we'd only been together about, I don't know, a few months when we got signed, like three months, and maybe been together for like seven or eight months when we made, started the record. So we weren't, we weren't really very good at being a band yet. We had to learn how to do it in the studio. And some of these songs, you know, I wanted them to be really subtle. I wanted them to be about, you know, you, you know what this song is about. It's kind of about going crazy. 
but it had to be kind of, I don't know, it was just really difficult to record. We spent days and days doing it while I had a little mental breakdown and slid against the wall, up and down against the wall, over and over again. But uh, it was my favorite song off the record when we recorded it, because I think uh, it was so hard to do, and it turned out really cool. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't play it for a very long time, and we put it in a set early this summer, and we haven't been on the gala set yet, and it, it sure as hell ain't getting out of this one. So this is called Perfect Blue Buildings. Down the street from your hotel, baby. I stay at home with my disease. Ain't this position familiar, darling? Well, all monkeys do what they see. Help me stay away from falling. Down Virginia and Oklahoma, where I got friends who care for me. You got an attitude of everything I ever wanted. I got an attitude of need. So help me stay away from falling. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Rob Dean at Sand the Floor Studios for the podcast music and Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for tech and web help. And as mentioned at the start, if you do think that I could have done something better in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can email me at I got a sprinkler caught in my sphincter.com forward slash knob jockey and I'll get back to you as soon as I finish my taxes. Now, but seriously, you can hit me up on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or through the website, a rock and roll rabbit hole.com. Oh, the website also has some great lesser known bands on the victims tab. So check that out. And it also has all past episodes and Spotify playlists with all of the songs used in each episode and some other golden magic. To end each podcast, I'm going to add when I can an example of the topic from a lesser known artist that has had less than 10,000 hits on Spotify or YouTube. And this week is a weird one because it's actually a song I love from a big Australian singer and songwriter, Paul Kelly. But his official YouTube page has only had 429 hits from this song, so it's in. And I know we have a lot of non-Aussie nuggets listening, so check out the Victims tab for a handful of Paul Kelly's best tunes. Keith Urban has also covered this song. You can hear a snippet of his minor third higher version here. Hello, blue stranger Sitting there all alone With your glass of sorrow You seem so far from home And maybe you will let me Buy a round or two I'm a blue stranger too Blue Stranger is off Paul Kelly's double album called Comedy which is a great album and it's the first record I ever bought of his. 
Paul Kelly's lead guitar player, Steve Connolly, I missed in episode 13 and 14's Dead by 40, as he sadly passed away from cancer, I think, in 1995, aged just 35. I also missed Bradley Knoll from Sublime, heroin overdose at 28, and Darby Crash from The Germs, an intentional heroin overdose at 22. Thanks to Rally Williams for that one. Anyway, back to the very much alive Paul Kelly with Blue Stranger. Thanks again, guys. See ya. Hello, blue stranger, sitting there all alone, with your glass of sorrow, you seem so far from home, maybe you will let me buy a round or two, I'm a blue stranger too. Hello, blue stranger I haven't seen you around I know every reason for leaving town We might know each other before this night is through I'm a blue stranger too Strangers fall in love every day. All lovers were strangers once, just like us, a little unsure of their way. Hello, blue stranger, will you take a chance? I might be mistaken, but I see meaning in your glance. Maybe this could be the start of something new I'm a blue stranger too And strangers fall in love all the time All lovers were strangers once Just like us, a little confused, sharing Once, just like us, trying to get